Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Can we give a hand clap of praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the book of Philippians? Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26 is where we are this morning as we are in our series that we started just a few weeks ago uh, titled Joyful, a walk through uh, the book of Philippians. And in this verse, excuse me, in this series, we are uh, going through this book verse by verse. And this book of Philippians, it is the most positive, the most joyful, and the happiest book in the Bible. Now, you know this, church, you know that whenever your pastor is going to preach on a specific topic, you know that Satan will do everything in his power to keep you from that topic. Can I get an amen on that one? And so um, we are preaching and walking through this book of Philippians, and we're talking about joy and um, you know, I, I know that there are several of you in our congregation, several of you who are watching, and several um, have, you, have mentioned this to me and, and even in, on our staff, is that, goodness gracious, it's been tough ever since we started the series. There's been some things that have just come out, and it has been very, very, very difficult. Um, but yet, through it all, uh, the book of Philippians and God's Word tells us that we need to uh, choose joy. And in this book, the word joy, the word glad, the word enjoyce, uh, rejoice, any type of word related to that is used over 16 different times in this very short book. And it's amazing when you think about it because when Paul wrote this joyful book, when he wrote this happy book, when he wrote this positive book, he's in one of the most negative places you could ever be in your life prison. He's in prison, he's in chains, and yet he writes this book on joy, which simply tells us this, is that your joy in life is not dependent upon your circumstances. Amen? Your joy, my joy, our joy in life is not dependent upon what truly happens to you. And so this book of Philippians, it's a joyful book. It's also a, it's a thank you letter. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, a church that he started, that he planted 10 years earlier. And he's writing now to them, thanking them for the gifts that they have given to him. Uh, they've given him financial gifts. They've given him a prayer support. They've given him love. And he's just telling them, Church, I love you. Thank you so much. You remain joyful. And in these verses that we're going to look at this morning, verses 19 through 26, uh, Paul shares with us what I call a winning philosophy of life. Uh, He gives to us and he gives to the church, he gives to believers what what I believe is a winning philosophy in life. And now you know this, in this world, you have winners and you have losers. Amen? Amen bunch of you are losers right now because you did not say amen on that one, right? <laughs> All right. You have winners and you have losers. The reason I say that because, as Britton mentioned earlier, college football started this week. And so that means during the next several weeks, you will get to hear me either celebrate my beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders or bemoan them. Well, today, I stand before you and say, go Red Raiders. They won last night, which means they are a winner for at least one week this year. Amen. (laughs) I will take it. Today, my Red Raiders have the same record as the Alabama Crimson Tide. (laughs) 
And for that is a great reason to rejoice. And how about the Georgia Bulldogs last night, huh? For the two Clemson fans here, I'm sorry, so. <laughs> Philippians 1, 19 through 26, we see a winning philosophy of life. Paul, whom in my book is a winner in all categories, Paul, in the most difficult circumstance of his life, chooses, chooses joy. He chooses to rejoice. And what we're going to see, what I want you to see this morning, is I want you to see that you can have the same joy that Paul had when you decide to completely live your life for Christ. You are sold out. And this is what we see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. And so let's read our text this morning. Now I'm actually going to start in verse number 18. Follow along and let's read God's word. He writes in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now, here's where our text picks up at the end of verse number 18. And Paul writes this, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything. But with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, it will be fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed on both directions." I have the desire to depart and to be with Christ because I know that will be much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain with you and continue with you for your progress and join the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, what a wonderful moment of praise and worship we experienced just a few moments ago. Father, I believe a true, a true multi-generational worship for all ages, from all stages, from all ethnic groups could come together under one name, the name of Jesus. And Father, what a joy to hear your people sing. And what a joy to hear your people declare how wonderful is the name, the name of Jesus. Father, in our time that we have this morning, I pray that we will magnify you with every ounce of our being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll look with me in verses number 18 through 20. And in your copy of God's Word, out in the margins of the Bible, I want you to write this word. I want you to write the word poise, P-O-I-S-E. Because one of Paul's, I think, the first part of this uh, winning philosophy of life is this, that Paul teaches us that living for Christ is characterized by poise. What do I mean by poise? Poise, I mean this confidence under stress. 
Confidence under, under a moment of, of stress, under, under pressure. Look at verse number 18. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know, for I know that this, this suffering that I have will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When I read these words of, of Paul, one question comes to my mind. How can Paul be so happy? How can Paul be so happy? He's in jail. He's in Rome. He's awaiting a trial to stand before Caesar. He doesn't know when that will take place. He really doesn't know what is going to happen in his life. Yet he says here in verse number 18, he says this, yes, I will rejoice. He says, I will rejoice. Now, in the margin of your Bible, I want you to, I want you to write some, uh, I want you to write this down. I'm going to do a little Greek uh, for you here, all right? This is, um, when you break down this phrase, I will rejoice, this verb, if you will, um, it is in the future indicative. I want you to write down future indicative, okay? Don't look at me like you're saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? I see you right now. You're like, what is going on? Write out future indicative. Because this is what Paul is saying. It's in the future tense. Paul is saying, I'm in chains, yet I will rejoice. I am going to do this. I'm going to do it now and in the future. Even though my situation is not what I would like it to be, I'm going to show poise by choosing to do something in the future. Future indicative, indicative is the mood, and it's this, it means it is a statement of fact. Paul is saying in the midst of his situation, he's putting his stake down. He's saying this, I will choose to rejoice, meaning this, you have a choice to rejoice. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a choice to rejoice. You have a choice to rejoice. When I was in, in college, I had a, a roommate who was from uh, in North Dakota, and um, he taught me this, this, uh, uh, this phrase that he learned from his family, and it was this, now turn that frown upside down, and now you have a smile. I don't think y'all are with me this morning. I really don't think you're with me this morning. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your frown, turn it upside down, and now you have a smile, all right? Meaning this, you have a choice to rejoice. You have a choice to rejoice, no matter your situation. A winning philosophy a, a, of life, a, a philosophy of life that is going to succeed when things are difficult is this. You will make a choice to rejoice, meaning no matter what comes our way, I'm choosing it today. I'm choosing to choose to rejoice right now, no matter the situation. Which means this, your choosing to rejoice means it's 100% your responsibility. It is 100% your responsibility, and it's 100% the responsibility of Jesus Christ to give you that joy. 100% responsible, 100% dependent. Jesus said this, I have come to give you life, a.k.a. joy. That is all on Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you and I so that you and I can have joy no matter the circumstance. Jesus, as a matter of fact, has already given you joy. When Jesus died... When he was buried, and then when he rose from the dead, and then when you professed Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came and filled you, filled you to capacity with all of the Holy Spirit. He filled you with everything that you ever need for life. He filled you, meaning this, you will never get another, another feeling of the Holy Spirit. When you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, he filled you all the way to the top. 
And one of the things that he filled you with is joy, J-O-Y. And a part of that is this, you've received it, he gave it to you, now you have to welcome it into your spirit, into your soul, and into your being, so that when you come into a situation where you're going through a difficult time, you have to stand on faith that says this, Jesus, when you filled me with the Holy Spirit, you gave me joy. I received that, and because you gave me joy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to walk in that arena. Folks, he's already given you the victory. He has already given you the victory. He has already given you the joy that you need to make it through a difficult situation. And so Paul says, yes, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Now look at verse number 19. After he says, yes, I will rejoice, he says this, for I know. Circle that phrase, for I know. So Paul is saying, listen, my, my confidence, my poise under pressure comes from this. Jesus has already given me joy. I'm going to walk in that joy. Why? Because I know. I'm convinced of this. I know without a shadow of doubt this is what Jesus has done. I'm convinced of that. And because of that, I will be delivered. Now, here's what Paul says, and I think this is wonderful. Uh, this is, Paul says, I know that my deliverance my deliverance from these chains, it's going to come from two areas in my life. He says, number one, my deliverance is going to come through the prayers of the Philippian church. Meaning this, Paul knows that even though he's in chains, Paul knows that he can rejoice because he knows that miles and miles away in Philippi, he has a group of people that are praying for him. Paul says, I know that I'm going to be delivered. I know that I'm going to be delivered from this difficult situation. Why? Because I have people praying for me. Four different times in, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul uses this Greek word called prosukemai, which means lifting up your voice in prayer to the Heavenly Father. Three times Paul prays for the, for the Philippian church. Right here in verse number 18, Paul is saying, thank you for your prayers for me. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I said one of the best ways that you can unify a church, unify relationships, unify a Sunday small group is this, you pray for one another. You, you pray for one another. You, you spend time praying for one another. And what I mean by praying is this, you really pray for one another by sharing your sufferings with one another. And church, I, I've seen this in my 20 plus years in the ministry. One of the biggest hindrances in relationships, in Sunday small groups, in, in, in the church, in, 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 in relationships, what you see is this, people aren't willing to share their sufferings with one another. Are you with me? No, you're not. Or you're being convicted. I don't know which one it is. But we at times refuse to share what's really going on with one another. I, I, I don't want to really share my sufferings because, because they'll, think, they'll think I'm dumb. No, they won't. They don't think that. Well, I, I don't want to share what's really going on because, because it's, 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 it's embarrassing. I don't, I don't want people to know what's really going on in my life. I, 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 I'm embarrassed. Listen, folks, if that's our thought process, then all we're thinking about is ourselves. 
We get, we t- get turned in. No, I don't, I don't want to share with people, and I don't want to burden. I, I just don't want to be a burden to other people. Listen, folks, if you're going through something and you share your sufferings with other people, you're never a burden to anybody. You're not a burden because you can't carry it by yourself. You are not meant to carry it by yourself. You need the prayers of other people. One of the things that I believe in small groups that needs to take place is this. You need to spend time praying. You get God's Word. You teach God's Word. You read God's Word, and then you gather yourselves around God's Word, and then you pray God's Word over one another. I mean, you get in there. I mean, folks, listen, we're in a, we're in a dire situation in our country right now. Amen? We're in a dire situation. We've got a virus that, heck, nobody knows what to do, right? Mask, don't mask. Vaccinate, don't vaccinate. Well, what, whatever. I, I, I don't know. Is it, it's, it's all political. I, I don't know. But I know this. It causes division. And the way you overcome division is you get together and you pray with one another. And we share our struggles with one another because we know this prayer works. And so Paul says, I know I'm going to rejoice because I know, I know that I have people praying for me. I know that I have people praying for me. Folks, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've really experienced people praying for you or not. I, I don't know. But when people pray for you and they lay their hands upon you and they cry their tears over you, you feel their tears fall on you, it brings great courage. It brings great encouragement to us. Say, you know what, there are people who are with me. There are people along beside me. And Paul says, listen, I know, I know with a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to rejoice because I know I have people praying for me. People have my back. And the second reason Paul says I'm going to rejoice because he says, I know, verse 19, that the provision that the Holy Spirit's going to provide for me. The Holy Spirit's going to provide for me. Look at that word provision. Everybody look at the word provision. It is the Greek word. Are you ready for this? It's the Greek word where we get our two English words, chorus and choreography. Chorus and choreography. So when Paul says that the Holy Spirit provides for us, we get our word chorus, which means this. A chorus is more than one. It's plenty. It's, it's not a solo, it's, it's plenty. So Paul says, I know that I, I, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to be delivered because i got people praying for me, and I know that I have the Holy Spirit who's going to provide more than enough for me. And it also means a choreography, meaning this, that the Spirit literally, when it provides for you, it's dancing with you. Amen? You never knew that dancing and Baptist would go together. But it's true. It's true. Whenever the Holy Spirit provides for you, whenever the Holy Spirit provides for you, literally what the Spirit is doing is He's dancing with you through whatever is going on in your life. You're going through the difficulty, He's going to provide, and He's with you. He's moving with you. He's dancing with you. It's a fluid motion. And Paul says, I know the reason I can rejoice, even though I'm in chains, even though I'm awaiting, even though I'm awaiting a, a possible a meeting with, 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 with Caesar and I don't know what's going to happen, I can choose to rejoice. Why? I've got people praying for me and I've got the Holy Spirit who's going to provide every single thing that I need. Amen? And he can do the same for you. He could do the same for you. You can have the same poise as Paul. You can have the same poise as Paul. 
when you allow people to pray for you and you depend upon the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, this is what you do. Look at verses 20 through 23. I want you to write this down. And if you're with me this morning, say amen. Amen. Look at verses 20 through 23 and write this down. Living for Christ has a purpose for living and for dying. Living for Christ, this is Paul's philosophy of life. Living for Christ means you have a purpose for living and a purpose for dying. Look at verse number 20. Paul writes, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but in all boldness, with, with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Underline that word exalted. Underline that word exalted. That Greek word for exalted is this, megaluno. Megaluno. Do you know what our English word comes from that? Look at your name and say, I bet it's the word mega. Y'all are asleep this morning, aren't you? Okay, maybe you are. I pray that you're not. Paul says, I want to be exalted. I want Christ to be exalted in my body. This is where we get our word mega from, and it means to make great. And Paul says, my one desire while I'm living is to make Christ great. It's to make Christ great, to magnify Paul says a winning philosophy, what wins for me is that I make Jesus' name great. I don't care if my name is in the limelights. I don't care how many, uh, I don't care how many likes I get on social media. As a matter of fact, I don't care if if I have the title of being an influencer on social media. That's not my purpose. I don't care how many Awards I received? No, no, no. My goal, this is what Paul said, my goal in life and my goal in death is that I make Christ famous. That's my one goal. And if that's my one goal, I could do that no matter what situation I am in. D.L. Moody once said this, a Christian is the world's Bible, and some of them need revising. It is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. We are told to let our light shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody that it shines. The light will be its own witness. Lighthouses don't ring bells and don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. I was, this morning as I was just going over this message, I honestly did not think it was going to be this heavy for you guys. I really, really didn't. But I sense a heaviness in the room this morning. I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, but that's just the way the Spirit moves at times. And, and I, but I thought of a story of, of, a, of a mom and their daughter and her daughter. This little girl came home from church one Sunday and said, Mommy, the pastor's message was confusing. Probably like many of you will go home this morning saying the same thing. The mom said, why is that? And the girl said, well, the pastor said that God is bigger than we are. Is that right? Mom said, yes, God is bigger than us. And then the daughter said, well, he said, not only is God bigger than us, but also that God lives inside of us. Is that right, mom? Yes, yes, that's right. And then the little girl said this, well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through?
Here's what I find amazing with Paul's success in life. And we in the Western world, I believe, need to listen to this. Paul's success in life comes from this. The only thing in Paul's life that mattered was magnifying Christ. That's it. It wasn't magnifying his family. Now, does that mean we ignore our family? Oh, gosh, no. But moms and dads, you know this. How many times have we put our children on a pedestal that they do not belong on? Church, how many times have we put pastors on pedestals that they don't belong on? Paul says, I I want Christ magnified. And I want him magnified in my life and in my death. Look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. F.B. Meyer said that Christ is the essence of our life. He's the model of our life. He's the aim of our life. He is the reward of our life. That, that, That word gain, it literally means a monetary term that means to make a profit on an investment. And so what Paul says, as he's in chains, as, he is in, as he's in prison, what we find here is that Paul, he's not complaining about his situation. He's not complaining about the situation. Instead, what he's doing, he's choosing to rejoice in the chains. And he's choosing to believe that, you know what, my life is going to get better. My life is going to get better. And Paul truly believes, and we're going to read this in just a moment, Paul truly believes that that his life is going to get better, but it may only become better once he enters into eternity. And here's the deal, church, he's okay with that. He's okay with that. Man, we so run away from death in our culture. Death scares us, and and we're like, man, we don't want anybody to die, and and I understand that, you understand that, but listen, for Paul to say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, Paul is saying, man, I I, I, want to go to heaven, and you you keeping me here on earth, it actually keeps me from heaven. I want to be there. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with all all those who, who came before me. In his sermon on this text, Alexander McLaren answers the question, how can death be a gain? I think that's a great question. Paul says, "For to me to live is Christ, but, but to die is a gain. How can death be a gain? I mean, all of us in this room have been impacted by death, and we're going to be impacted by death. Some of the deaths were tragic, unexpected. Others, we expected it, but yet the pain is still there. So how can death, how can it be a gain? Listen to what Alexander McLaren says. I think this is wonderful. I want you to write these down. I don't have these on the screen, but Alexander McLaren gave these three answers to how can death be a gain. Death can be a gain, number one, because we lose everything we don't need. When we die, we lose everything we don't need. Listen, my family and I, we just moved into our house. Our garage is full of boxes that have been in storage for a long time. And we lived without them for several months. Maybe we don't need them now. Does that make sense? Listen, when you and I When we die as believers in Christ, when we die as believers in Christ, you lose, we lose everything we don't need. We lose the world. Praise God. 
We lose our flesh. Thank you, Jesus. We lose the devil. Praise God, get him off my back. We lose our trials. We lose our troubles. We lose our tears. We lose the things that we don't need. It's a gain. Not only do we lose everything we don't need, McLaren says this, we then, we keep everything that matters. The Bible says that two things exist forever, God's word and me and you. And so when we die, I don't think we fully understand this, but when we die, we actually enter into what we were created for. You and I were not just created for uh, 60, 70, 80 years on this earth. We are actually created to be eternal beings with the Heavenly Father. And the Bible teaches us that you and I are going to live forever somewhere. You will either live as a, as a believer in Christ, you'll live uh, in, in, in heaven in eternity with the Heavenly Father, or if you choose to reject what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and on His resurrection, then you will be living in a place called hell, which is eternal separation from the Heavenly Father. But you and I were created to live forever somewhere. And here's what the Bible says. When you enter into eternity, when you enter into heaven, your personality does not die. You do not die. You continue on as you were truly made to be. We gain that. We lose everything we don't need, and then we keep everything that matters. And number three, he says this, we gain what we never had before. We lose what we don't need. We keep what matters. And number three, we gain what we have never had before, which means this, we finally get to see Jesus face to face. We get to see our loved ones who have gone before us. We get to see Paul, Moses, Abraham, David. We get to see these people, and we get to gain these things that we've never had before. Does that get you excited? You know, many of us fear death. I think many of us fear death not because of what's out there, but just how it's going to happen. You know? That's scary. But know this, death, death is just a gateway into what we truly are called to become. And we'll be as we've never been before. What great joy that is. Paul says, I'm going to rejoice. Because no matter what happens to me, it's going to get better. So church, listen, no matter what's going on to you right now, know this, it's going to get better. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to get better. Several years ago, are y'all still with me? Do y'all have about, uh, can y'all give me about, I don't know, two hours? (laughs) Several years ago, a, a pastor by the name of John R. Rice, um, and I got this illustration from a commentary, and I thought it was just great. Uh, this evangelist named John R. Rice preached a sermon in Waxahachie, Texas, which is just south of Dallas, and it was his custom to preach hard against sin, and the particular sin that he was preaching hard against was alcohol. And eventually, the powers to be in the city of Waxahachie, they decided that uh, John R. Rice must be silenced. So this is 70 years ago. And so they sent a message to him. They said, to stop preaching or we will kill you. It's pretty good. And he replied with this. This is great. He replied with, 
you can't threaten me with heaven. You can't threaten me with heaven. Wow. Purpose. To magnify Christ means you have a purpose in living and you have a purpose in dying. Did you know that you can die well? That you can die well? You can die well. I mean, you come to the end and you say, I gave my all. I gave my all. And I'm about to enter into what I'm created for. Oh, that we would take that view of death. And death would no longer be this mournful, sorrowful thing, but it would turn into a celebration. Well, verse 22, Paul says, if I'm to live on the flesh, it would be fruitful labor for me. I don't know which way to choose. I don't know what to do. I'm hard-pressed on both directions, having the desire to part with Christ and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Paul is saying, I would rather be with Jesus, but I know that I need to live with a purpose here on earth. Write this down, number three, write this down. Living for Christ is a believer's top priority. A winning philosophy in life includes being poised, having purpose, and then making sure you're living for Christ. That's your priority. Look at verse 24. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and join the faith. You can write out in your margin, you can write this, this is a pastor's heart. Paul says this, I am willing to sacrifice myself for the greater good of the body of Christ. Well, that's a great definition of leadership right there. That I would sacrifice myself for the greater good. Are you with me? Self-sacrifice, dying to self, picking up your cross and following Christ daily. Paul is modeling to us that our top priority is to is self-sacrifice. It's for the greater good. It's for the glory of Christ Jesus. Why? Look at verse 26. So that your church, your church in Philippi, your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to again. Why is Paul saying I choose to rejoice? Why is Paul saying I have a purpose in living and dying? Why is Paul saying this is my priority? Paul is saying this. I'm doing this because why? I want Christ magnified. And I just want you to know that when I'm done, I don't want you to mourn for me. I don't want you to weep for me. I just want you to magnify Christ. That's all I want. That's all I want is for Christ to be magnified. Well, can you say, along with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head right now. And I want you in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit to answer this question or fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. For me to live is fill in the blank. What are you living for? What are you living for? 
Is it entertainment? Is it sports? Is it clothes? Is it making more money? Is it making a name for yourself? Paul says this, if you want joy in your life, you say this, for to me to live is Christ. Father, we come before you and and Holy Spirit, I I stand before you this morning and stand before this congregation saying, "I, I really don't know how to end today's message. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you do your work. And that you would burn within us a passion, a desire, a purpose to live for you. God, if somebody's here this morning who doesn't know you, God, may they bow their knee to you for what your son Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb, and at his resurrection. And I pray, Father, that we would all leave this place saying, for to me to live 